Sweet. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for having me this morning. My name is J.B. Ward. As Keith said, and that was a fabulous introduction. I would love to walk into a room and have that said about me every time. That would be great. If only people knew how hilarious and wise I was all at the same time, that would make my life a lot easier. Um, but uh, I, as, as Keith said, I work for Young Life, and, uh, and I go to this church. And so just first off, thank you. Just want to say thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, I don't take this lightly, the opportunity to get up here and, and speak, uh, speak to you all. So I don't take this lightly. It's a high honor and privilege to me. So thank you so much for having me. And then also River Ridge Church supports Young Life and the mission, uh, the mission that I'm a part of. And so thank you for supporting us. And uh, so yeah, that's, that's um, just want to say thank you. Uh, also, we're, all, we're doing this road trip series in the summer, and I love that because I, I think those pair nicely, like parts of my, big parts of my childhood were about summer road trips. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and we would do all these day trips to the Jersey Shore, um, which is not as pretty as, as it sounds. Um, and also, we would do, uh, we'd do these nice long trips to Michigan, uh, where we had this kind of uh, cabin on a lake up in Michigan. So we'd spend like 12, 13 hours driving as a family up to Michigan, and we loved it. I love these family trips. Um, I would travel to and from college. I had these like six-hour trips just going from one side of the state to the other side of the state. And me and my friend, Matt, uh, who went to college, we went to college together, he, uh, he and I would drive this six-hour trip, and we were all business. Like, I don't know if you are like this or your parents were like this, if you ever did a road trip, or you're like, I'm not stopping for anything. Then you, you may not go to the bathroom. No, we are not eating. Uh, you will get through this, and you can hold it, that type of thing. Um, like, I, that's how I drive. That's how I travel. I am all business. It's not about enjoying anything in between. It's about getting from point A to point B. And, uh, and so, so anyway, uh, my, my friend Matt and I, we were just like, all right, we just need to get to college, or we just need to get home. And so what Matt and I would do as we were driving, like we wouldn't stop to go to the bathroom and we wouldn't even stop to change drivers. If someone got tired, what we would do is the passenger would, uh, well, first the, the driver would hit cruise control. The passenger would take the headrest off of the driver's seat. And then the driver, usually Matt, would, he'd crawl back over top of his driver's seat into the back seat. And so at this point, we're driving 85 miles an hour on 80, and there's no one in the driver's seat. And so I'm just driving, uh, like I'm just holding the steering wheel, my friend Matt's in the back seat, and then I would just kind of crawl over, sit in the driver's seat, my Matt would crawl back, put the headrest back on, and we would do that like 10 or 12 times on our trips. Uh, I don't know why, not because we got tired, just because we were idiots. And uh, that's, that's an example of what not to do. Uh, don't do that. Those of you young, impressionable, lovely, lovely people here, please never do that. I shared that story in the first service, and immediately when I shared that story, the power went out. Uh, so that was God telling me, don't share that. Um, so I did it again. Uh, and then uh, a couple years ago, my wife and I, Bethany, we, we started, we were, our family is growing, and we've learned that road trips with a young family are not fun. Um, and like we would, were traveling two years ago back from Michigan, from, uh, from Michigan back to Charleston, uh, and it's one of those trips where you manage to like do a nine-hour trip in 15 hours, and uh, and so we we took this trip, and we're like an hour of 12, and Wilson, who's three months old, in within hour 12 has already blown out his diaper two times, and I'm angry, 
And I'm like, Wilson, like, we're not changing you. Like, you're three months old. You can sit in it. You'll forget about it. You'll be fine. And uh, my wife, Bethany, who's much more gracious and patient and compassionate, uh, you know, changed his diaper. So, uh, but we'd already stopped twice after, like, hours and hours of, all, like, we're already taking way too long. We're outside of Columbus, Ohio, and we're driving. And, like, five minutes after we get back on the road, Annie, uh, our two-year-old, says, says, Daddy, I'm hungry. And I'm like, you know... <laughs> angry. And, uh, and so I just take a box of raisins. And I just chuck it back at her. I'm like, eat this. And, uh, and so she starts eating the raisins. And like five minutes later, Annie says, daddy, there's a raisin in my nose. And I'm like, there's a raisin in your nose? Yeah, it's really far away. And what she had done is she just taken a raisin, put it on the tip of her nose, and then just like, like just, just stuffed it back as far as she could. And like, we had just, I'm like so angry. We had to stop, we stopped, and uh, we found a Dollar General in Chillicothe, Ohio, and uh, bought tweezers and a flashlight, and I'm like trying to find this raisin. I can, I'm not sure if I'm looking at raisin or brain. Uh, I'm not, an, I don't know anatomy super well, but I just see this wrinkly thing, and I'm going to go after it. Uh, and so literally like hour 12, 13 of this trip, I'm angry, and I'm upset, and I'm doing maxillofacial surgery at a Dollar General in Chillicothe, Ohio, and I'm not happy. So I didn't get the raisin out. She swallowed it like two days later. Apparently, that, that's how the body works. Um, but, uh, so I, I do love, road trips are fun. You get great stories. And what we're doing with these, um, with this series is looking at Jesus and, and, and kind of taking, uh, watching him and this, his road trip, because he did a lot of traveling. And we're looking at different conversations and people that he interacted with. And you can learn a lot about a person by the people that they hang out with. And so one of the people that Jesus hangs out with uh, is this guy who constantly messes things up. And so basically what we're going to look at today is what do you do with the guy who's just a screw-up, who just messes things up, he has a lot of failure and disappointment, he says too much, uh, he just says um, the wrong things at the wrong time a lot of times. And so this is Jesus and the screw-up, and as I messed with the title, I thought, this is Jesus and the screw-up, or sometimes I I, I like to call it Jesus and the Santon boys, um, which... (laughs) which is really not fair because they're not here. They're in Croatia. Um, so we'll go Jesus and the screw-up. But, um, you know, like this, <laughs> we've got Celebrate Recovery. And, like, I would like to say I have my own, like, uh, my own group for, like, celebrate that the Santon kids came over to your house and something did not break uh, because they've broken a lot in my house. Um, but but uh, so we're looking at this, at, at Jesus and the screw-up. And what do you do with the, with the guy who just can't get things right? He can't get things right in his life. And we all, we all have that friend in our lives who are like, they just, life just hits them hard. And, and they just, they can't get their stuff together, whether they're disappointed or they mess it up or circumstances in their own lives. And these are like, you have friends in, these, in your lives like this, and these are friends who you don't, you don't really compare yourself to this friend. Like you're not, you're not ever envious or jealous of this friend. You're more, you're more like impressed. Like you're like, wow, I'm really impressed that you're like still alive. I'm impressed that you're not, you're living this life and you're not in prison right now. Like, you're just, you, we've got these people in our lives and if you don't have that friend, you are that friend. Uh, and, and, but seriously, like, we have this, these people and moments in our life where we've experienced failure and disappointment. And, and we just seem to maybe get things wrong. And so we're looking at this guy. Jesus hangs out with this guy, Simon, who is this person. Simon is this person. And we're going to look at multi, a couple different instances in his life uh, and we're going to look at these three different, like, 
vignettes, if you will, in, in Simon's life and how Jesus interacts with him. And how Jesus interacts with him, I think, will teach us how Jesus views us and, and views the people around us. So let me pray as we uh, go into the Word, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, praise you for this moment, for these next uh, few minutes where we get to look at your Scripture. Lord, thank you for your Word, for its power, and that you're speaking to us. Thank you for everyone here, and I pray that your Spirit would cut to our hearts and that your gospel would reach our lives. Uh, so God, be with us in this time. We accept your invitation into your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So um, before we get started and look at these like three different kind of stories, we're going to do a little background on Simon. So we have to go back. We'll look at Simon, and Simon is the guy who keeps messing things up. And so we look at when Simon first met Jesus. So Simon first met Jesus, and we got to go to John 1 for this. So if you have your uh, Bibles, you can open it. We'll have it on the screen. Uh, you can pull up your phone, whatever it is. John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. And this is just introductory. Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said. So talking about John the Baptist, Andrew heard what John had said about Jesus. and says, and Andrew had followed Jesus. So Andrew, Simon's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him, him being Simon, we, he brought him to Simon. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be, you will be called Cephas, which is then translated, uh, which then translated as Peter. So Jesus meets Simon, and upon meeting him, he changes his name, which is weird, okay? Let's just say that. Like, that's fine. Like, it'd be like, hey, like, I just come up to, to Katie and say, Katie, you are daughter of John and Lynn. We're going to call you Cindy. Uh, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why, why would you just go up and change someone's name? My friend Matt, who I talked about, I went to college with, he went to college, he started college two years before I did, his first week of college, he, his RAs of his hall were meeting in their room, and they were just talking. They said, hey, we need someone on our hall to be named Scooter. We need a Scooter on our hall. So my friend Matt walks by the room that these RAs are talking. They say, hey, what's your name? He's like, I'm Matt. No, you're Scooter. And they named him Scooter. And for four years, and everyone knew him as Scooter. They no longer knew him as Matt. I showed up to like to visit him. I was like, hey, I'm here visiting my friend Matt. And no one knew who I was talking about. They're like, oh, you mean Scooter? It's like, yes. Like, Matt graduated from college, uh, applied to med school, got in, graduated. He is now a pathologist in Cleveland, Ohio, and people call him Scooter. Not even, not even Dr. Scooter, which is really what he earned. Um, but, like, you know, it's like people just, they just kind of named him. They just changed his name like that. Um, Peter here, or Simon, this is a little bit different. Jesus says, it says, uh, and I want you to focus on this verse, verse 42. It says, he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. And that phrase, looked at, means it's more than just a glance. What that phrase, looked at, means Jesus is giving him a discerning, deep look into his life. And we'll come and we'll, we'll, we'll actually remember that phrase, looked at, and we'll come back to it. But Jesus, says, I, he's sizing him up. 
He's sizing Simon up, and he gives him a new name. He doesn't just give him a random name. He names him Cephas, or Peter, which is then translated into rock. And that means rock. So, so instead of like Jesus, uh, the, the screw, Jesus and the screw-up, we've got Jesus and the rock, um, which I was going to call it that, but that means totally something different, which Jesus and the rock is like road tripping with the rock, um, which that's not what we're going after. Um, but uh, the, the point of that is it's Jesus, it's Jesus and the rock. And so what we're going to talk about today is, is rock formation, or Jesus and the screw-up. And this is about rock formation. It's about Peter being formed into his new name and his new identity. When God gives you a new name, he's saying you've got a new start. You've got a new identity and a new purpose in this life. So we're going to look at three different stories and three different like excerpts from Jesus' life with Peter and these three different stages of, of rock formation. Now, this is rock formation like I'm making this up. This is not like ge- geological. Any geologists in here are going to be very disappointed that we're not talking about the rock cycle. I apologize. Um, but we're talking about these three different stages in, 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 Jesus, or in Peter's life. Um, so, once again, before we go in, Jesus, in the, Jesus is hanging out with Simon. Three things you need to go know about Peter. One, there's a moment where Jesus goes and visit, visits Peter's house, Simon's house, because, G, because Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And so Jesus goes to, to his house and heals her. So one thing you know is Jesus is married. Or I'm sorry, Jesus is not married. Peter's married. Simon is married, and, uh, and, he, and he loves his wife enough to have his mother-in-law live with them. Uh, so that's, where, that's what's happening there. Second is that Peter is a fisherman. So what that means is people, people in, in uh, Peter's time and in Peter's town, he was from Galilee. And Galilee was known as like the educated group. Like they were all like the educated Jewish people. So if you were a boy growing up in Galilee in this time, you would have gone to Hebrew school. And you would have gone there. Basically, you would have gone as far enough until you either became a rabbi or until you uh, basically didn't make the cut, until you failed out. And, someone, and a rabbi would actually train you, and the rabbi would say, okay, yeah, you move on to the next level, or no, you're cut. And so the fact that Peter is a fisherman shows that he's experienced disappointment, he's been cut, he didn't get the job he wanted, he's failed, he's been kicked out of this school. And so, so, so this is how uh, so Peter's experienced that. Um, the third thing you need to know is that he hasn't figured out, Peter hasn't figured out this whole following Jesus thing. See, Jesus gave him a new name. That was a while ago. That already happened. Jesus gave him a new name, and then still, he goes, instead of Peter, like, going and living and following Jesus wherever he went, Peter goes, goes home. He goes back to his, his normal day-in, day-out job, and he just keeps living his life. Peter has not figured out what it means to follow Jesus or what Jesus is asking him. So, know those three things going in. He's married, he's a fisherman, he's experienced failure, and he has not followed, figured out how to follow Jesus. So now we're going to go into these three different stories, uh, these th- three different stages of, of Peter's formation. Cool. All right. The first story um, is, is you can go to Luke 5, and the first story is about reflection. And this is about Peter, he gets a real look at, at himself. Kind of like when you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. Peter's about to get, take a look in the mirror and see who he really is. And in Luke chapter 5, just to set it up, in verses 1 and 2, it says Jesus is talking to all these people. And the crowds are following Jesus. They're going wherever Jesus went. Jesus had crowds around him all the time. 
because people were attracted to him and people also just wanted to hear what he had to say. It said they wanted to hear the words of God. So they would just follow him, just to hear what he had to say. Maybe, and hopefully, that's why you're here this morning. Because you just want to hear what God is trying to tell you. Because God is speaking to you through his scriptures and through your time here. God's trying to tell you something. And so Jesus is there. He's about to speak to these people. They're crowding up on him. And the crowds are so great that Jesus, they're on this like shoreline and Jesus gets backed up on the shore and he has no room. You know, the waves are slapping against the back of his legs. And so he actually calls over. There's a couple fishing boats and he calls them over and he gets into one of the boats. And whose fishing boat do you think he gets into? He chooses. Simon's. In verse three, Luke chapter five, verse three, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. What I love about this, again, like I said, Peter has not figured out how to follow Jesus, but Jesus is still coming after him. You see, Jesus doesn't run away from sinful people. He runs toward them. And he proves that by choosing Simon's boat. He gets into Simon's boat, even though Simon's not even there necessarily to hear him. Simon's just fishing. But he goes after Simon. He goes after, he goes to Simon's boat. He goes to Simon's house. And he goes in just to be with him. Jesus proves that he's chasing after Simon and chasing after you by just showing up on this earth. His incarnation is proof that God said, I want to come after my sinful people. So instead of running away and pulling back, I'm coming to where they are. And I'm going there. Jesus runs does not run away from sinful people. He runs towards them. And I love, I love this about River Ridge Church is that we don't, like if, we, if there's people that we care about and we want to reach, we go there. We send people to Haiti, to Africa, to Moldova all the time. We say, hey, we want to have an impact on the lives of the people on the west side. So we just send people there. And people are there tutoring and changing the Second Avenue Center just because we say we care about you. So instead of saying good luck, we say we're coming after you. And I'd say this for you guys. There are people who need you, and they're not necessarily in Africa. They're not necessarily on the west side. They're also next door to you. So what I would challenge you is saying you're next door neighbors. Your next door neighbors, does, they don't necessarily need you to spend $2,000 to go overseas and, and, and serve over there. What your next door neighbor needs you to do is just walk out your door, cross the fence, knock on their door, say hello, ask them how they're doing, and then actually listen. God doesn't run away from sinful people. He runs towards them. God's not running away from you. He's running towards you. He is pursuing you. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. He's pursuing Simon. So they get in this boat. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, into deep, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Simon, his like, fallback job is fishing, and he's not even a good fisherman. He's a fisherman who can't catch fish. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats, come, help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. It says, when Simon Peter saw 
saw it, he fell down at, at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, Lord. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What I love about this is that like, Peter gets this action. Peter's being pursued. He's being followed. Then he sees God do something amazing. He sees Jesus do something amazing. He can't help but fall flat on his face. And not just flat, or, you know, flat on his knees, and not just on his knees, on his knees in a pile of flopping fish, which is overtaking this boat. He is on his knees amongst all this mess and just saying, get away from me. Because I see how good you are, and I'm not like that. When you get a good look at Jesus, first off, you can't help but see how great he is and how attractive and perfect he is, but also you can't help but see that reflection and see how desperately in need we are of someone like that and how sinful we are. So when you get a close look at Jesus, you see how good he is, you see how desperate you are, and then when you think about the fact that he's not running away from you, he's running towards you, you know how much he loves you and how much he cares for you. So, the second, so um, right after that, Peter says, get away from me. Depart from me. He says, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, and, and who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus says, all right, let's go. I'm giving you a new life. Here's, here's how we do it. And they said, all right, we're in. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what that means, but we're in. So Peter starts following him. So that's the first, this first stage is about reflection, and Peter begins to follow. Now we go into the second stage, the second little story that we're going to talk about. Um, this is about a year later. This is about renovation. This is in Matthew 16, and this is just kind of like a year later after this catch, they're having this conversation. If you've been on a road trip with someone, like you end up having great conversations with people. You talk about things you might not talk about in the normal day-to-day life. And so they're on this road trip and Jesus asks them a question. He says, hey, a lot of people are talking about me. What are people saying about me? What are people saying about me? <clears throat> and so they said, oh, you know, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. And, and instead, and then Jesus turns the question back on them. So in Matthew 16, verse 15, he turns and says, he says to them, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, because Simon's that guy who has to talk first. He says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what's happening here is, remember, he's, Peter's still figuring this whole thing out. But what the main point in this is that what God sees in us is bigger than what we see in ourselves. What God sees in Peter, Peter's a screw-up. He's failed out of the school, yet he's saying, I'm building my church on you. And he takes that name Rock, that Peter, and he does like a play, of, play on words. And he says, you are the rock. I'm building my foundation. My church is going to be built on you. What we know is the Christian church today started back all the way back on Peter. Even the Catholic church would say Peter is the first pope. He is the first person of our church. The rock, he is the rock on which we were founded. This screw-up dude. 
And what I, what I love about this and what this proves to us is that God, it kind of answers the question is like, could God really use us? Can God really use you? Can God really use me? Like you probably look at your life, you're like, I don't have, a, I don't have my stuff together. I don't know all the right answers. I can't, I can't help like that person. I look at the people who are helping and they seem to have their stuff together. I'm not like that. Could God really use you? When I first interviewed to go on Young Life staff, I was a terrible volunteer Young Life leader. My, in my interview to go on staff, I was asked, do you think you can do, be on Young Life staff? Do you think you can do this job? And I said, I don't know, which is a terrible answer in an interview. And I said, I don't know. I've done a terrible job in the past. I'm just showing up. I'm just trying. And God uses, uses the weak to lead the strong. First, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, this book is filled with God using people, using the unlikeliest of heroes to change the world and to bring forth the gospel message. Moses, he was a stutterer, and he was wanted for murder, and he led the Jews out of slavery. David was a shepherd boy who became, a, became the greatest warrior and king that Israel ever saw. A shepherd boy. The woman at the well, she was despised by her own community. She was, she was sleeping around, and she was a Samaritan, so she wasn't liked by the Jews. She was, not, she was an outcast in both communities, and she brought the gospel to her village. Rahab was a prostitute in the Old Testament who helped lead the Jews into their promised land. Paul, he persecuted Christians. He killed them for following Jesus. And he ends up taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which is why most of us are here today, and wrote half the New Testament. And Peter, this screw-up, failure, dropout, guy who says two things too quick and his mouth gets him into trouble, Jesus saying, I'm building my church on you. You are the rock. And so what this is about is about this renovation. It's about, it's about giving, him, giving him a new life and giving him a new path and a new trajectory because what God sees in him is bigger than what he sees in himself. So that's the second stage. Uh, the last stage is the last story that we're going to talk about, um, and I need to set this one up a little bit. And so here's what's happening. Uh, this, is, this is about two years after that conversation that Peter and Jesus had uh, just then about being the rock and building the church. So two years later, this is the night before Jesus is about to die. This is his last night on earth before he's killed. Jesus is, he's just been arrested, and he's just been arrested, he's in prison, and he's about to be tried and ultimately killed and crucified. Peter, who's supposed to be, you know, backing him up, this is the rock, this is like the solid foundation, Peter runs away and starts hiding. And, and so people, start, people see Peter, and they're like, they're talking about Jesus. He's, he's arrested. They're like, hey, don't you know that guy? Don't you, aren't you friends with Jesus? And he says, no, I never knew him. And he denies him. He denies him three times. Three times people ask him, 
Don't you know? Don't you know Jesus? Aren't you friends with him? And three times he says, no, I never knew him. The third time he gets so angry at the question, he actually curses the dude out and says, I don't know that man. And in, in, uh, it says, the Bible says, after that third denial of Jesus, in Luke 22, verse 61, it said, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And there's that phrase again, that looked at. It's not a glance. It's not just, I just saw him passing by. He is sizing Peter up. The, Jesus is about to die. He is in his greatest time of need. And Peter is abandoning him. And Jesus is sizing him up. And says, Peter, Peter walked away. He, he ran away. He was weeping and he was angry. He was bitter. I don't know why he was angry. I don't know if he was angry at himself because he knew he screwed up. I don't know if he was angry at, at um, God. But I could see him being angry at Jesus. Like he knows, he's like, he could have just said, Jesus, you knew this. You knew this. You knew I was going to mess this up. It's what I've done my whole life. And I told you on that boat, when we had that great catch, I said, get away from me. How many of you guys think about that? Like think like, God, you don't want to deal with me because I can't handle this. Peter's saying, Jesus, I said, get away from me. I tried to tell you. And so how does this story end? And I want you to know, how would you end this story? Because the story does not end here. So we go, as we go into this, um, Jesus ends up dying. He raises from the dead. And then he comes back and he gets to have another conversation with Peter. After, this is all after, in, the, in Jesus' greatest time of need, Peter abandoned him. And in Peter's greatest form of shame, time of shame, Jesus is sizing him up. And he's looking at him. And Jesus gets to come back and he asks him one question. And what, I'd ask what you, what, what's the question you would ask? If you could sit down with Peter, if you knew someone betrayed you, abandoned you, screwed up, what would you ask them? Would you say, how could you? What were you thinking? How could you do that to me? I know if I was Jesus and I could have that one question, I'd say, I, I, I told you, I told you, didn't I? I knew I was right. And make sure, that, make sure that Peter knew that I was right. But instead, Jesus asked this one question. He asks it three times. He asked, he asked Peter, do you love me? He asked him, John, John 21, 15, do you love me? John 21, 16, do you love me? John 21, 17, do you love me? He asked him three times, one for each time that he denied him. And what's happening here is that Jesus is restoring Peter back into his rightness with the Lord. He said, I know you've screwed up. I know you're going to keep screwing up. But all I care about is, do you love me? And I think Jesus is asking you that same question. Do you love him? Yes, you've screwed up. Yes, we've all had failures and disappointments in our life, and there are parts of our lives where are like, I wish that wasn't the way it was. But do you love him? What you believe about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. What you do with the person of God, a person of Jesus, will change everything about your life. So do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. 
And every time he says yes, Jesus adds on a thing. He says, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Tend, tend to my lambs. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. What he's saying is go and take care of my people. I know you love me. I know you're in. Now go and do something greater. Go and be that rock that I called you way back when your brother introduced to me, introduced you to me. You see, what's great about this is this is not what Peter deserves. Peter does not deserve this. This is called grace. He's getting way more. He's not just restored, but he's also renovated and on to a new life. You know, God offers you that same grace. What you deserve for your life, what I deserve for my life, is to be face down, lying in a boat, in a flop, like flopping fish all around us, saying, God, get away from me. I'm not worthy. That's what you deserve. But God says this, do you love me? Because I'm coming after you. And, and what I love how this ends, Peter says, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And then, he's, and then Jesus ends with one simple command, two words. Jesus says, follow me. And this would have been super meaningful to Peter for, for Jesus to say, follow me, because Peter's already had a rabbi say, don't follow me. Back when he was in Hebrew school, when the rabbi would say, you're done. You can't follow me. You're not worthy to be my disciple. Jesus said, I've already deemed you worthy because I've lived and I've died and I've raised for you. He's saying, follow me. Let's go. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you. So I ask you this, River Ridge Church, do you love Jesus? For every time and every, every screw up, everything in your life that happened yesterday, last night, it's going to happen today, just come back to Jesus. He's asking you this question, do you love me? Do you love Jesus? If the answer is yes, he's saying, no, let's go. Feed my sheep. Take care of my people. He's saying, follow me. So please answer this for yourself, not just right now, not just tonight, but every moment of every day, Jesus is asking you, do you love me? And follow me. We've got some work to do. So let's go. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for pursuing Peter, for seeing something way bigger in his life than he ever could have, and for restoring him back to rightness with you. God, I thank you for every person in this room that you do the exact same thing for us. God, you've come to this earth, you've lived, you've died, and you've raised from the dead just for our sake. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would have a real interaction with you. We could see how good you are. And we can get on to living a life close to you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. In your name, amen.